Amen. All right. There's this uh, guy named Joe. Not you, Joe, right? Okay, you don't want to be this guy. But anyway, there's this guy named Joe. And uh, he was not a very romantic person. But hey, good news, ladies. He was willing to learn. Okay? So give him a couple of kudos. And so he wanted to impress his wife with his eagerness to try to be romantic. And so he, first step, Jim, he decides to take her out for the anniversary dinner. And so he starts to watch all the couples around them. And he decides, I'm, I'm going to follow their lead. See what they're doing. You know, being romantic. And so in the, in the restaurant there, everybody, including Joe and his wife, they, uh, they were served with this hot beverage uh, first. And, and so Joe, he watched a couple next to him. And he saw that the man lovingly said to his wife, hey, pass the sugar, sugar. Yeah. So Joe, he thought, man, that's, that's pretty good. And so he continued to listen in the, in the dining room. And the table on this side, he observed how this husband romantically asked his wife, hey, pass the honey, honey. Yeah. And so Joe, he's like, man, this is good stuff, Orson. And so finally he decided to give this technique a try. And so he looked at his wife and he goes, hey, pass the tea bag. <laughs> no, that didn't work. Okay. Now, folks, I know it's early, but how many guys would say Joe messed things up in his relationship right there? You know what I'm saying? He's toast. He's in trouble. I mean, praise God, he was trying to make it better. That's good. But his behavior was really messing it up. You know what I'm saying? Okay, and folks, believe it or not, I kid you not, I see this same kind of thing happening to Christians all the time. Okay, and not just in their earthly marriage. Listen, in our spiritual marriage, if you will, with Jesus Christ. And that happens, listen, not when we say, pass the tea bag. Listen, it happens when we consider spending time with God a real drag. Whoa. And so the question is, wait, wait a second, man. How, how did it get this way? I mean, think about this. How did it ever become a drudgery to spend time with God, the creator of the universe? Hello. How did that become a drudgery? And if you put it in context, I'm assuming it didn't start off that way, did it? I mean, when we first got saved, we, we couldn't wait to spend time with God. We longed for God. We loved God. And so the question is, how did it get like that? Well, Tom, thanks for asking. It works well with this new study. Okay, what I've learned is it's simply this, folks. It happens just like that. Listen, when we lose sight of what we really have in Jesus and what we say, but we don't treat it that way, and that is this. We lose sight of having a beautiful, loving, intimate, personal, awesome relationship with the creator of the universe. And when we lose sight of that, I'm telling you, all of a sudden, bang, just like that, overnight, listen, your once vibrant walk with Jesus Christ just turned into a dry, stale, stupid, boring, man-made religion called churchianity. Now, notice I didn't say Christianity. That's the real McCoy. That's the real deal. This is churchianity. Have you heard of that? Have you seen that? Okay, unfortunately, folks, I'm convinced it's an epidemic. It's a deadly disease in the American church today. And when you get infected with that disease, you usually cry out one of two things as a Christian. You say, help, I'm a Christian and I can't grow up. Or help, I'm a Christian and I'm dead as a stump. Okay, spiritually, okay? And it happens all the time. So we're going to begin a new study to stave off this deadly, horrible disease that's infecting the church called churchianity. And we're going to begin a new study called Renewing Your Faith renewing your faith. And what we're going to do is we're going to get back to the so-called uh, basics of Christianity, okay? We're going to get back to the real deal. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to look at it, though, this time, the so-called basics, through a renewed set of eyes. And that eyes that we're going to look at it again is through the eyes of a relationship, okay? So hopefully that you and I can get the right motive and stay there this time, amen? 
Okay? And so the first basic thing that we need to renew, we need to get reacquainted with through the eyes of a relationship is a renewed prayer life. Why do we pray? Why is that important for Christians? Okay, we'll take a look at that. Uh, uh, but from the words of Jesus, open your Bibles to Matthew 6. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is going to tell us about prayer. Okay, Matthew chapter 6. And uh, let's take a look at the context, verse 5 through 13. The whole section there is dealing with prayer. Okay, I'm kind of thinking if Jesus says we need to pray, we probably need to pray. Okay, it's a little bit important. Okay, and I always had an instructor think about this big thought as you're turning there. Hey, uh, if Jesus saw a need to pray, don't you think we need to pray too? Right? As if we're better? Okay, but let's take a look there. Uh, verse 5, chapter 6. Uh, here's some key words I want to pop out. He says, he starts it off right here on the topic of prayer. He says, and when you pray. Notice he didn't say if. He said, when you pray. He says, don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray, stand in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. He said, I'll tell you the truth. They got the reward in full. But when you pray, not if. Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Okay, it's between you and Him. It's something intimate, something private, something personal. It's a relationship. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Again, He says it a third time. And when you pray, not if, do not keep on babbling on and on and on and on and on like the pagans. For they think they're going to be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. Why? Because your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Okay? How many times does your kid need to ask for Cheerios? 18 times? Uh-oh. One, hopefully, right? Come on, all right? And he says this, then, this then is how you should pray, okay? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from who? The evil one, okay? And so what Jesus does in this text, folks, he not only assumes we would be praying, and that's what the phrase there, when, not if, right? So he assumes we would be praying, but then he goes on and tells us how to pray both the positive and the negative, the right way, the wrong way, okay? And the first way he told us not to pray, the negative form, was whatever you do when you get around to it, don't be like the religious hypocrites who are doing it to impress other people. Oh, Lord, die, thee, die, thee. In front of everybody, right? We'll get to that, Lord, one next week, okay? He says, don't do that. Give me a break. That's crazy. That's phony. That's religious. That's a hypocrite. Two, he says, don't also, don't be like the pagans who keep babbling on and on and on and on. I can't hurt you the first time. And somehow that by doing that, you're going to twist God's arm. Okay, I'll do it anyway. Or something, maybe impress God or whatever. He says, don't do that. Don't babble. Come on. Get to the point. Okay. He says, don't do that. Why? Because that's not a personal relationship with the Father. That's a dry, stale, goopy, boring, man-made religion, okay? Did you know that Jesus Christ died on the cross not for that? Right? Jesus Christ died on the cross for a beautiful, loving, intimate relationship with his children. And so that's why he tells us, here's how you should pray. He says, you need to do it as something intimate. Something personal between you and the Father. This ain't about putting on a show. This isn't about babbling on and on. Just get straight to the point from the heart. Straight and honest about it. You know, like it's a relationship. Right? You don't have to work at it. It's just a relationship. Spontaneous from the heart. That's what Jesus hones in on. Because that's what he's won for us, okay? But here's the problem. Let's be honest. For most of us, when it comes to prayer, 
We're always looking for some sort of a shortcut, aren't we? Like this guy. They sell anything nowadays. Check this out. Hold it right there. Do you still say grace before you eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner? If you answered yes, then I've got a product that's going to revolutionize the way you do food. Pre-blessed food. That's right. Pre-blessed food. We pray for it so you don't have to. This is the 21st century, folks. We can sell anything. Around the clock, we've got thousands of employees buying brand name foods, praying over them, and then putting them back on the shelves of your local grocery store with our official sticker of approval. We've got breakfast cereal. Pre-blessed. Lunch meat. Pre-blessed. TV dinners. Double pre-blessed. And if you don't want a white guy praying over your food, we've got that too! Please, Lord, bless these eggs, Father. Bless the chicken that had these eggs, Father. Just listen to how pre-blessed food changed these people's lives. Since I switched to pre-blessed food, ain't nothing changed. We've always prayed religiously before eating, but we've been so busy with work and watching TV. Pre-blessed food hasn't only saved us time, it saved our souls. So visit your local grocery store today and look for our official sticker of approval. And the next time someone asks you to bless the food, you say, it's not been blessed. Double pre-blessed. Now, folks, maybe it's just me, but uh, I think your first clue that something's going wrong here is when somebody's asking for blessings to be prayed on a chicken, uh, you got, this isn't something you want to follow, okay? Uh, but in all seriousness, folks, when it comes to prayer, isn't that our attitude? Isn't that somehow it just it ends up being, you know, just, just find some shortcut. Like, ha have somebody else do. Would you just hurry up and get it over with? Okay, do I, do I really have to? Can you find somebody else to get this done? Or if I got to do it, just punch in my religious time clock and get it over with. It's really kind of become our attitude, okay? And this is what we've uh, begun to think about prayer. But what Jesus says, uh-uh, that's not at all what it is. It's a natural, beautiful, intimate form of communication with the Father, the creator of the universe. Why would you want to shortcut that? Why would you want somebody else to talk on your behalf? Why wouldn't you want to do it? That's what Jesus is saying. So let's get back to renewed prayer life. Let's revisit this topic of prayer. Okay. And this time let's look at it through the eyes of a normal relationship. So that we can keep it as a relationship with God. And isn't that our problem? How many of us have been trained as Christians that when somebody says, oh, the Christian religion, what do we do? We interrupt them. And what do we say? Oh, oh, no, no, no. Christianity is not a religion, it's a But how do we treat it? We treat it like a religion. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to dispel that specifically on prayer. And so we're going to ask three questions. We're only going to get to the first one today. The first basic question we need to ask ourselves, if we're going to dispel this churchianity stuff, uh, is this one. Why do we pray? All right? Why do we pray in the first place? Okay? Well, believe it or not, I think that the psalmist uh, gives us the common sense answer. Let's take a look at that passage here. Psalm 8, uh, verse 1, 3, and 4 says this, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, the space. Woo! When I consider the heavens, God, and the work of your fingers, and the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, wow! What is man that you are mindful of him? Who are we? Now, let me translate what I believe the psalmist is trying to say to you and I in response to the question we pose, why should we pray to God in the first place? Well, let me translate it, and let me see if I can be as blunt as I can. <laughs> because who wouldn't want to? Are you kidding me? We're talking to who? 
We're talking to God, the creator of the universe. And the psalmist says, when we consider the heavens, man, when we look at the work of God's fingers and how big he is in the universe and how complex, and he's above and beyond all that, who wouldn't want to speak to him? Could you imagine if that really was true? We can, through Jesus Christ. When we are praying to God, who in the world are we talking to? This isn't some conversation with some rock star. It's not a conversation with the president. This is God. This is the creator of the universe. And man, if you got a need, I'd say if anybody you want to talk to about that need, it's maybe God. I think he probably knows, right? Okay. And that's what he's saying. Listen, God is so huge. Don't you guys get this? God is so huge. He created the stars or the work of his fingers. Listen, he is so personal with this. He's so intimate. At the same time, he's so huge. It's mind-blowing. Who are God, who, as massive as you are, who are we? I mean, we're teeny, tiny, teeny, insignificant. What? How, what? And so the, the Bible tells us that, that, listen, this is what Jesus Christ has won for us. God is so massive. He's the one that put all the stars into place. And yet, listen, what he has won for us, listen, is a beautiful, intimate relationship. The psalmist actually thinks of, uh, God thinks of us. You get that? God, who created the whole thing, thinks of you. And you, and you, and you, and you, and me. Us. What? And that's what Jesus has won for us on the cross. We don't get to wait to enjoy this when we get to heaven. We get to enjoy it now. And the, the psalmist says, listen, God is so huge. You look at his work, uh, his fingers, the universe. He's so huge. He's above and beyond that all. Colossians 1 says he upholds it. He sustains it. And yet, he's with us wherever we go. Okay, this is what the other psalmist says with this in Psalm uh, 139, uh, verse 7 through 10. Now he starts talking about God's omnipresence. He says this, Psalm 139, 7 through 10. Is there any place I can go to avoid your spirit, God, to be out of your sight? If I climb to the sky, where are you? You're already there. If I go underground, you're there. If I fly in the morning's wings to the far western horizon, you'd find me in a minute. You're already there waiting, is what the psalmist says there. The Bible declares, listen guys, that there is no place in all of existence that a person could go to hide from God. Because wherever you go, there he is. Okay? And this is the point. This is what I think the psalmist is trying to bring out for us. Is that God is so huge. He's so massive. He's above and beyond the universe. He created the whole thing. And yet, he's intimate with us. He's with us at all times. Isn't that awesome? Okay? And since we have a Hard time grasping this mind-blowing truth. I'm here to help you out. Or should I say, Rocket Boy John Gibson is here to help us out. That's right, folks. Apparently, thanks to the lifelong dream of Rocket Boy John Gibson, uh, he's going to help us take a journey to the third heaven so we can expand our thinking and see just how huge God really is and blow us away with the fact that he's intimate with us at the same time. So let's get ready. That's right. It's time to journey to the third heaven with the help of rocket boy, John Gibson. All right, John, you ready? Okay, maybe not, but uh, just hang with me as the music gets keyed up here. That's right, and what we're going to do, folks, is we are going to take a look uh, at the journey to the third heaven. The Bible talks about three different heavens. It's the Greek word urnas, which means uh, heavens or atmosphere, and the Bible describes those terms for us. We see that the first heavens the scripture talks about is where the birds fly, so that would be our atmosphere. The second heavens, uh, the Bible talks about, is where the stars are. So that would be 
uh, space or the universe. And the third heaven actually talks about the actual dwelling place of God the Father, where the Apostle Paul was caught up to the third heaven, and he heard things that uh, he couldn't even mention uh, with that. So we're going to journey all the way to the third heaven, the actual dwelling place uh, of God the Father, with the help of, that's right, Rocket Boy, John Gibson. You guys ready? All right, let's take a look here. Here we go. John's dream of, that's right, being a genuine Rocket Boy, as you can clearly see here, uh, traveling through space, uh, began as a young boy, uh, as you can see here with his space dog, Wrinkles. Okay, they apparently dreamed together. Uh, but that's right, John didn't stay here uh, looking like that. Uh, fortunately, he grew up. And uh, he grew up eating lots of cow, as you can clearly see here uh, with this picture, because he needed those muscles, that's right, to build himself one of those fancy living space rockets. And, uh, and Ruth, by the way, I'm trying to preach. Uh, would you please stop texting me? Yes, I will send you uh, this picture later so you can... Uh, take it to the ladies at work. Uh, Ruth, obviously, being jealous. Uh, but anyway, so uh, here we see now John. He's, he's not just building it. He's taking off. And so here we see his first view out of the window of his fancy space rocket as he leaves Las Vegas, heading towards the third heaven, the actual dwelling place of God the Father. Now John kicks in, that's right, his genuine uh, space rocket thrusters, and he leaves Nevada behind. Look at those amazing graphics. Aren't those awesome? Yeah, that's pretty incredible. And before you know it, that's right, John now leaves Earth's atmosphere. Okay, the first Uranus, and faster than you could say, by Pastor Billy Lunch. That's right. Or maybe after this video, uh, uh, try not to give Pastor Billy too big of a punch. But anyway, so John flies right past the moon. That's right. Now he's heading out to the uh, second heavens, the space. Okay, and so now John fires all four of his genuine space rocket thrusters, and he's catapulted out of the solar system, going, that's right, where no Las Vegas in has gone before. However you pronounce that. And so now, all of a sudden, John reaches, eventually, the center of our galaxy, uh, the Milky Way, and he sees here, not clouds, uh, those are not clouds, but 100 billion stars the size of our sun or bigger. Okay, and as John, that's right, presses into deep space, uh, he begins to encounter other galaxies, not just more stars, but now other galaxies. And uh, believe it or not, no, that's not a splattered uh, chicken egg. That would be evil. Uh, this one's called the Cartwheel Galaxy. That's what it looks like. Uh, and as John soars deep in space, he runs into this site. And folks, as we saw in our Wednesday night Bible study, the study on intelligent design, we saw that this photograph here, this is from uh, Hubble Space Telescope. This is not a bunch of stars. This is a cluster of galaxies. Those are different galaxies. Uh, that you're looking at as John continues to journey to the third heaven. So astronomers actually, folks, estimate, in fact, that uh, just in the cup of the Big Dipper, that there are over one million galaxies, each the size of the Milky Way or bigger. Galaxies just in the cup of the Big Dipper. But beyond this, as John continues to travel, uh, they discover that the galaxies begin to thin out. In fact, some scientists, astronomers, think that uh, what lies beyond that might just be empty space. Okay, and uh, others say, well, maybe there's an actual edge to the universe. Okay, but that's right. Once again, where scientists are at a loss to explain, <clears throat> John, being a Christian, he realizes it's what the Bible calls the third heaven, okay, or the actual dwelling place of God the Father. So that's right. Give it up for John Gibson, helping us uh, journey to the third heaven. That's right. And the reason why I went through all that, or John helped us with that, was to try to just expand our thinking. Because I could be up there and I could quote the psalmist and I could say, hey, the universe is huge. 
right? But when you start to expand your thinking of just how minuscule the earth is and how big the universe is and God's above and beyond that in the third heaven and yet the earth is minuscule yet we're on the earth itself individually as what? Who are we? That God, you are mindful of us, okay? Now, that's the good news, that God is huge and yet he's intimate with us wherever we go. Now, the bad news is if it were up to us to have this relationship with God, we, it's never going to happen. It's just never going to happen, okay? And that's because if John were able to travel at the speed of light, it would take him eight and a half minutes just to reach the sun, which is 93 million miles away. But if John wanted to reach the nearest star, it would take him four and a half years traveling at the speed of light, okay? But that's still nothing. If John wanted to just make it across our galaxy, the Milky Way, it would take him 100,000 light years, and that's just one galaxy. In other words, you wouldn't get there, okay, period. But even if somehow John could get his genuine rocket boy spaceship traveling at the speed of light, it still would be physically impossible, and the reason why is because science tells us that as you approach the speed of light, mass begins to increase outwardly into infinity. Or in other words, you physically get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Which is why one guy says, hey, don't ever let anybody call you overweight. Just tell them you're traveling too fast. <laughs> I like that one. Okay. But here's the point. Listen, this is the bad news. Listen, even if you wanted to try to reach God... At the edge of the universe, the third heaven, the Bible calls it, the actual dwelling place of God the Father, we couldn't do it. It's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. But praise God, with man, certain things are impossible. With God, what? All things are possible. Now, here's the good news. The Bible says, listen, if you want to reach God, if you want to have this intimate relationship with him, you don't need to do what John did. Give him kudos anyway. You don't need to go and build a rocket and shoot up off to God. No, listen, we repent of our sins and he comes shooting down to us with his spirit. And this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. And it's, it's mind-blowing, he says. It, it, and you can almost hear Paul go, are you serious? Don't you get this? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul says, Don't you realize? Christian, don't you see what Jesus has done for you on the cross? Have you forgotten this? Listen. You yourselves are the temple of God. And that God's spirit lives where? He lives in you now. Now put it all together. This is the mind-boggling truth. When we get saved, listen, Jesus Christ is not in the third heaven. Isolated from us. He's not afar off. The Bible says he comes to live within us, which means he's with us wherever we go intimately. You can't get any more personal than that. So at the same time, the psalmist says, man, when I look at the sky and the universe and I look through the Hubble telescope and I see galaxies upon galaxies and I see how huge and massive it is and God's above and beyond that and he upholds and he sustains all that. And at the same time, he's with me and he knows me and he loves me. And I don't want to talk to him? What? We're never alone. Think about, just as a side note, the message we have to tell to our lonely world. Believe it or not, sociologists are now saying that we are fast approaching a societal epidemic of loneliness. It's spiraling out of control. Whether it's due to death or divorce or decaying marriages, our society is filled with even more loneliness than ever before. And listen, today's so-called advances are actually advancing loneliness. Listen to this. One guy said, in the age of communication, 
today, we can send email quickly around the world. We can visit with somebody in another country in a chat room. We can see world events live without ever having to leave our living room. But now our interpersonal contact has diminished. We're spending our time with impersonal machines rather than people. The age of technology has promised more free time, but what has happened is that less time is spent in building relationships. And more time is spent investing using these impersonal conveniences like TV, cell phones, tablets, computers, the whole nine yards. He says medical advancement has increased the length of life, but in spite of longer lives, we find less meaning in it. And even with all of our advances, never before, listen, has a generation lived on so many antacids and antidepressants in an effort to calm their troubled spirits. And he says this finally, and the media has presented so many unrealistic expectations in life that people are feeling cheated, unsatisfied, and downright lonely. But not for the Christian. Think about it, what Jesus has won for us. In fact, he even made a promise. This is awesome. Matthew 28, verse 20. Jesus simply said this, and you can be sure of this. In other words, take this to the bank. Don't ever doubt this. Jesus said, you can be sure of this. I am with you, what? Always, even to the end of the age. So on top of all that, Jesus says, I'm not just going to hang out with you. I'm going to hang out with you always. Not once in a while. Not only when you're good. Not just once uh, every two weeks. He says, I'm going to be with you always. And think about this message that we get to declare to our lonely world. Listen, when you get saved, when you come to the cross of Jesus Christ, you're not just on your way to heaven, but before you even get there, no matter what happens in your life, you will never, ever, ever, ever be alone again. And your greatest best friend is God. Why? Because that's what Jesus went to the cross for. The relationship begins the moment you get saved, not just when we get into heaven. But see, we've lost sight of that, haven't we? What is so, when you put it in that context, and that's biblical, what is so ashamed of telling somebody about that? Who wouldn't want that relationship? That's why it's called the good news. Okay, not the so-so news, the good news. So he's that big, he's that huge, and yet he's that intimate. What Jesus is one for us, and I could talk to God. He's not just with me. I can talk to him in prayer anytime, anywhere I want. Okay? So, again, I'll ask the question, why do we pray to God? Who wouldn't want to? <laughs> when I consider your heavens, God, and how huge and how intimate and what? But that's right. Uh, just to make sure we get the full impact of this amazing truth of what Jesus has won for us. We're going to take a look at one more analogy, and this time with a video clip of, again, how huge God is, yet intimate at the same time. I mean, John's Rocket Boy analogy was awesome, right? Yeah, give it up for John. Okay, not to downplay that, but this one is much cooler, okay? Let's see just how big things really are and what God did to bring this intimacy to you and I. Let's take a look.
is our galaxy, the Milky Way. It spans 80,000 light years across and contains more than 100 billion stars. The Milky Way is a spiral galaxy. The brightest stars are concentrated into arms that wrap around the disk. Since our solar system is within this disk, we see the Milky Way as a cloudy band in our night sky. No human being or spacecraft has seen our galaxy from the outside, as shown here. It is difficult to grasp just how large our galaxy is. Our solar system is located here. In fact, with the exception of M4, all the stars and planets we've visited are within this little ring. The Milky Way is a remarkable demonstration of God's power. But what's even more amazing is that our galaxy is merely one of billions. Every one of these faint clouds is an entire galaxy. As we pan upward, we see a strange band where galaxies seem to be missing. This is called the zone of avoidance and is aligned with the disk of our galaxy. Although many galaxies are undoubtedly in this region, gas and dust in our own galaxy prevent us from seeing them. Further up, we see a massive grouping of galaxies called the Virgo Cluster. It contains over 2,000 galaxies and is 50 million light years away from Earth. Our entire galaxy appears as a grain of sand lost in the vast ocean of galaxies. Yet the galaxies shown here are only a small portion of the cosmos. Beyond this distance, astronomers have cataloged only certain regions of the visible universe. At last, we begin to see the large-scale structure of the universe. The galaxies are organized into a complete tapestry of strings and voids. For clarity, only a few selected regions are shown here. This is the universe, or at least as much of it as our present understanding makes possible. Just imagine the power involved as all these galaxies leapt into existence at God's command. And yet the Bible describes the creation of all this with the single phrase, He made the stars also. The psalmist writes, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? The earth may seem an insignificant speck compared to all that God created, yet this tiny world is where God placed the crowning jewels of his creation. Of all that the Lord created, human beings alone have the privilege of being made in God's own image. And though we have rebelled against our creator, he's paid the penalty for our treason. It was on this small planet where the creator of the universe became a man and died our death. He then rose again and has offered forgiveness for all who call upon his name. It is fitting that we should honor God for who He is and for what He has done. I don't know if it was true of you, but uh, growing up in Kansas, I remember just looking up the sky as a non-Christian and nobody telling me about Jesus and weeping alligator tears. 
hoping, wishing that there was something more to life. That there was a God. And that somehow, someway, wouldn't it be awesome if I could speak to him? That's what Jesus has won for us. We now, Christians, have the privilege to speak to that God who created all that, who not only did it just like that, but he upholds it and he sustains it and he knows every single thing about me, even down to every hair on my head. To think that that God is not just real, but that God, as insignificant as I am, in the span of the universe, he still died for me. Even though I didn't want him in my sinfulness. He still loved me. And after I get saved, every day I get out of bed, he wants to hear from me. Who are we, God? That you're mindful of us. I'll say one last time, why do we pray to God? Because... Who wouldn't want to? Are you kidding me? It's important to talk to my wife. Please don't take this wrong, honey. But God, this is God. This is the creator of the universe. Right? I love my wiener dogs. That could, okay. And they're cool. And you know, if you got pets, you do the dog talk thing, right? Or at least we do. Or I do. But this is God. And listen, it's not just in the morning. It's not just at night. Anytime, anywhere I go, I can speak to him. With anything. Highs, lows, joys, sorrows. Wow. And he intervenes. And he cares. And he answers. Who wouldn't want to do that? When we realize the fullness of what Jesus has won for us, this beautiful, loving, intimate, personal relationship with the creator of the universe. You know, when you get that, guys, this is my theory. It's kind of hard to be religious at that point. Oh, Lord, I, what? Oh, man, are you kidding? I got to. Let John do it. What? Get out of the way, John. Stop hugging. Why would we do that? Who would want to hurry up that conversation? Who would want to look for that pre-blessed sticker? I'll pray for the meal. Who wants to hurry up that conversation? Who wants to look for, are you kidding me? I'm not talking to a rock star. I'm not talking to a president. I'm talking to God, the creator of the universe. Isn't that my point? That's why we pray. And when we keep that in mind, it gets rid of that horrible disease called churchianity. Right? That's just the first question if we're going to get back to what prayer really is. The second question we need to ask ourselves is, all right, that's why we should pray. Just set you all up, just answer that one question. Why do we pray? Because who in the world wouldn't want to? The second question we need to look at is, all right, what is prayer then? What is prayer? But uh, Lord willing, we'll get to that next week. Let's go ahead and let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell. 
and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying, okay? How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand, okay? Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step. To admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven. I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against Him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? 
It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know, it's actually on historical record, that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so, even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is the Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave, and the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly, and please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.